Christopher Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. This two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, June 23rd, we're studying Acts chapter 21, verse 37 through chapter 22, verse 21. After his arrest, Paul is given the opportunity to speak to the mob of people, and he recounts his conversion from persecutor of the way to apostle to the Gentiles. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, the Reverend Dr. Adam Filipek. Pastor Filipek serves at Holy Cross and Emmanuel Lutheran Churches, both in Lidgerwood, North Dakota. Pastor Filipek, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks so much. A pleasure to be here, and greetings and welcomes to our listeners in the name of our crucified, risen, reigning Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who was, who is, and who is to come. Pastor Filipek, help us with some context background for our text today. We're going to hear a lot from the Apostle Paul. What should we know as we prepare to look at this text? We should remember the events of Acts 5 all the way up through Paul's conversion in Acts 9. That's really what we're going to, it's going to frame the backbone of our discussion. Having had Paul arrested, he is going to now recount all of those events and join them together for the listeners, for his hearers, concretely in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins and to the proclamation of not only the Jews, but to the Gentiles and how this was a life transforming event for him, how he went under, went a metamorphose, a change uh, in his mind, in his being, and how he's lived it in Christ since then. Pastor Philippek, one of the unique things, well, it's not entirely unique, actually. One of the, I think, important things about this text is that we're going to hear a repeat of something we've already heard in the book of Acts. Paul's conversion was recounted in Acts chapter 9, and Luke is now going to record Paul's speech in which he tells about that. It's it's similar to what happened with Peter. In Acts chapter 10, you had the account of what happened in his vision that sent him to Cornelius' house. And then in Acts chapter 11, Luke records Peter talking about it again. So we're going to see this with Paul. And in fact, Paul's going to do this yet again one more time within the book of Acts. Luke didn't have to record it that way. You know, Luke could have said, Paul stood up and told them about his conversion and then moved on with the narrative. But he chose to recount the way Paul said it. How do we approach sections of scripture like this where there's a, a repeat or, or something like that? How do we how do we help how do we go through these as Christians? Certainly. So we see in these Our Lord Jesus echoed throughout his people and in his own life and ministry. Now, you you mentioned Luke. Luke is the author of Acts. And so the way that we read this is in light of Christ already proclaimed throughout Acts, but also in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke has concretely given us a phrase that does not appear much in the other Gospels at the pinnacle of Jesus' crucifixion, even. And at his crucifixion, when Jesus is, is standing there for, before Pilate and Pilate is asking which one 
of the prisoners should be released, Luke records very specific words that now echo at the end of last yesterday's text into today's text that say away with him. Jesus' own words were, the words spoken about Jesus rather, in Luke were away with this man, released to us Barabbas. And now here we have the servant of Christ, Paul, who has already in Acts 9 been identified as the one who will be shown how much he must suffer for Jesus' name's sake. Now we see that suffering brought full circle, and we see that a servant is not above his master. The same words uttered about Jesus is are now being uttered about Paul. And in the context of all of this, we understand that when Christians are being persecuted, and this is one of Luke's profound points, it's not just persecution of Christians. The very thing that happened, it echoed in Paul's ear, is now happening to him. When Jesus said to him on the road, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It wasn't just persecuting people. It was persecuting the way in whom each and every Christian lives, moves, and has their being. And now Paul is finding his life and even his persecution being ordered under Christ and living in the life of his Lord Jesus, who is his master. Uh, we, we noted that similarity in the previous episode that away with him that's exactly what the crowd had shouted to jesus or about jesus now paul hears those same words and so we pick up the text in verse 37 of acts chapter 21 today as paul was about to be brought into the barracks he said to the tribune may i say something to you and he said do you know greek are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in, a he- in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, Hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. Now, I think I'm going to pause there, Pastor Philippeck, before we pick up what Paul says to the crowd. This is the the lead up to that. So well, one of the things we find out, which I find intriguing here, is that apparently Paul knows more than one language, which I, I think, you know, he, he knows Greek. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised by that. He writes in Greek. I've, I've read the New Testament in Greek. <laughs> but but he, he speaks in different languages. What What's going on here in the lead up to Paul's speech? Sure. So this echoes very much what has happened earlier in the events of Acts 5 and 7. Only it wasn't Paul. It was Stephen. Stephen had preached about Jesus and the people that he had preached to in Jerusalem, the Jews, had done what they had always done. The same thing that they had done when Jesus was present preaching to them. And Jesus had to say, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills and stones the prophets who are sent to it. How often I have longed to gather you as a a hen gathers her chicks under the broods of her wings, but you have not been willing And now, Stephen, that same thing in Acts chapter 5, leading up to Paul, he has said, you stiff-necked 
people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers do. And now you have Paul who has been preaching and they've essentially the same thing, stopped their ears and there is mass confusion going on so that the soldiers have to come down and get Paul into the barracks. And as they begin to bring Paul in, yes, he, as you well noted, speaks multiple languages, but even they are confused uh, because uh, he is talking about addressing them and they're talking about knowing Greek and they think, wait a minute, aren't you an Egyptian? So there's this mass confusion surrounding Paul and his message of the gospel. And then Paul starts to give in account of, of who he is, of where he came from in the midst of all of this. And he does this in a language that he himself knew growing up. He's one of these people, one of these people who are seeking to kill Paul, who sought to kill Jesus, a Jew by birth, Paul is. And so Paul is very fluent in this language and knows it so much so that uh, this is going to form the backbone of, of the first half of his message. The fact that he, he grew up, he, he's one of them, he speaks their language, uh, begins to form an intimate connection with the crowd so that he, so that the crowd and all are, are hushed and listening to what this Jew, Paul, has to say. So it, it invites the listeners into a conversation among bloodlines of the promised child. Well, he even calls them brothers and fathers there in the first verse of, of chapter 21. Another That's part of this appeal to their common heritage. Absolutely. And that will come uh, kind of later in, in, in three as well. But this brothers and fathers, I mean, this, this language of intimate connection, this language of brothers and fathers that appears multiple times to this in the speaking of this, actually is... is spoken of elsewhere by Paul in his letter to the Romans. Paul has a heart for his people. He desires, like his Lord and Master, he desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth that Jesus is Lord. So in Romans chapter 9, Paul even wishes that that his fellow, for, for his fellow Jews' sake, that he could be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of his brothers, for the sake of his kinsmen, that they may be saved, that they may know Jesus. So hard ha- Paul has a heart for it, for his people. And you see that reflected in, in those, those languages, uh, those terms, brothers, fathers, the Hebrew language. Paul is intimately connected to these people. He loves them and he wants them to know Jesus and to have that same We'll see here in a minute, life-transforming event um, from going to being dead to your sin and to be alive in Christ Jesus. I appreciate the way that, that you said that about he also wants those listening to have this same you know life-transforming event, although it, it maybe won't happen in the same way. He wants the people listening to him to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and so receive that salvation. I do think that that helps to helps us to understand why Luke records the whole sermon for us again, so that we can see how Paul used his own experience 
now to proclaim the word, the saving word of Jesus Christ to these these hearers in front of him. So that's that's going to be the rest of our text for today. Before we get there, there is, and I know it's not the main thing in our text today, but you do have this brief interaction that's recorded between Paul and the tribune, which happens in Greek. And, and that's where the, the tribune's confused about who precisely this Paul guy is. He, he thinks he's some kind of a rebel. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, that the situation in Judea, politically speaking right now, is pretty tense between Jews and Gentiles. And things are, are pretty ripe for perhaps a revolution to start if things would go the wrong way, according to the Romans, which is why you see such a, a quick reaction to what's happened here in Jerusalem so far. It, it's striking to see this tribune have the wrong idea about Paul. He thinks he's some kind of a, a rebel leading some kind of a revolt. But but Paul, Paul points out something different. And, and maybe this helps to set the stage for what we're going to see later in the book of Acts as Paul you know, gives testimony and elsewhere. What is there in this brief interaction between Paul and the tribune that maybe is setting the stage for the preaching of the gospel in the more Gentile contexts? Absolutely. So I think one of the biggest things to see is that um, Tarsus is is not part of Jerusalem. You know, it, it lies on the outskirts, you know, kind of a Syrian, uh, uh, Turkey area nation. So, but it's not obscure in any way. So while it's not Jerusalem, um, the the capital, you know, of everything in terms of God's presence and His work throughout the Old Testament in those in those latter days of the Old Testament. It is, in fact, a well-known city, and Paul, in this well-known city, lays firmly upon, and he'll do this as we go along, number one, lawful citizenship, and number two, submitting himself to those who are in authority over him, asking for permission to speak. I am a citizen, not of an obscure city, of a well-known city, and I'm asking you to speak to be able to speak. So he, he sees this, this Roman rule, right? I'm still under Roman rule and I may not be the, the of the heart, heart of the Jewish city, but I I'm, I'm of a noticeable city and I'm asking you to be able to speak. He's doing all things lawfully and in good order, not only to be heard, but this ties with his message here in just a minute that he's going to be proclaimed about being zealous and lawful concerning God. Let's go ahead and take a look at what Paul says. Again, he's now speaking in Hebrew to the crowd of people. We're picking up now with verse 3, where Paul says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. 
and since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That's the rest of our text for today, going through Acts 22, verse 21. So, Pastor Philippek, Paul begins his speech here recounting his history prior to his conversion to Christianity. What does he what does he say there? How does it how does he intend it to impact his hearers? All right. So as we left off with verse 39 about the citizenship, no obscure city and permission to speak, Paul begins there again. It's important that he that everyone know that he is not only one of them, but is also what he has been accused of not being earlier in Acts 21, namely zealous for the law, the law of Moses, the law of God. So he starts by recounting how he is zealous, being a Jew born of of Tarsus, a a well-known city. He, notice he says he didn't just simply go to the school of Gamaliel. Actually, he was educated, very key words, at the feet of. Gamaliel, he came up in Acts chapter 5, reasonable, well-known, when Peter had to say, we must obey God rather than men, and all of that controversy, it was Gamaliel who had the voice of reason in the midst of that. So Pharisee, he's well-known, well-educated, and Paul makes this point saying, look at who I was under. So I started my life like you did, in the bloodline of Jesus from a well-known city, And I was educated at one of the greatest, at the feet of one of the greatest people whom you yourselves honor, a knowledgeable guy about the law. You love him. You extol him to be one of the the great scholars and Pharisees of the law. And notice, according to the strict manner of the law of, and then here comes the words, our fathers. Notice his rhetoric. He draws them in again to, I am one of you guys. I not only love the law, but I am of the same bloodline, of the same opinion before I even had any of this conversion. This was me. You and I are one. I was zealous for God in as all of you are to this day. So he's including himself among the people who are accusing him of not being zealous. So he is doing this in order to show them that they are before this, uh, up to this point, one. And so he was so zealous, he actually persecuted, and here's the name of Jesus, the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That, that John 
chapter 14, verse 6. I persecuted that guy, the way, that Jesus. Uh, and actually, he was delivering, persecuting how? He was delivering people to over to prison, both men and women. And if he, all of this is recalling that Acts 5 through Acts 9, and, and people are cowering in fear of Paul coming through and imprisoning and sending them to Jerusalem for persecution. The high priest, the, the council, if you have questions about my zealousness, my credentials, so to speak, just ask your biggest authorities, right? The high priest and the elders. They can tell you who I was and what I did. And I received even letters that I can journey to Damascus to, to do this very thing, to send these Christians into Jerusalem to be punished for belonging to the way, for proclaiming to the way for living in he who is the way, the truth, and the life. So through this whole start of this, Paul numbers himself among them as the zealous of zealous, the one who is perhaps even more zealous or was more zealous than they were so that they may not accuse him of what they have been accusing of him. He sets the record straight. Well, and I think it's helpful to remember that, that the reason Paul is in the situation he's in right now is because there's been this false report about what he's been doing in terms of forsaking the law of Moses and telling others to do the same, that somehow he's been disloyal to the Jewish nation. And so from the get-go, he puts those accusations to bed right here. Absolutely. There's been so many false accusations. I mean, this is kind of what we, we started mentioning, uh, or what I started when I mentioned Acts 21. That's exactly been the case. It's It's like his master before him all over again. He's still zealous toward God uh, when Christ comes, and, and that's his, his master now. And as we saw Jesus having all kinds of things uttered falsely against him, so now Paul also in his, hour, in his hours of death coming up here has all kinds of things uttered falsely against him. And yet, as our Lord says in Matthew chapter 5, you're blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, utter all kinds of evil falsely against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. And so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Paul is setting this record straight, but but counting himself um, as as one numbered, uh, rejoicing that he is, is able to suffer in this way for his Lord's sake. Now, as he continues his address to this crowd, he begins to say how the Lord encountered him there at Damascus. What what changed Paul from the one who was persecuting the way to one who now is, is preaching the way as he will continue? So as, as we get close to our break, we have about four minutes here, Pastor Philippek, take us into to what Paul says about his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus through about verse 11. All right. So it is marvelous because he he begins with this this whole narrative of I'm journeying, I'm ready to imprison. Uh, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, I believe I'm abiding in the truth. And yet it is not he who is abiding in the truth. Actually, it is the truth who comes to set Paul free. He who is the way, the truth, and the life. So about noon, and this is a nice uh, detail. We get a nuance uh, of the of Acts chapter 9 here. About noon, a great light shone from heaven the light of Christ, if you will. And Paul falls there, who is Saul at this point, falls down in his face and he hears those words, why are you persecuting me? Much like we talked about when you persecute one who belongs to Jesus, you don't persecute just them, but rather the one whom they belong to. 
It is a persecution of not just individual people, but rather Christ and his holy bride, the church. And so Paul hears this voice. He asks, who are you? And then the revelation comes, the very gospel, the power of salvation unto eternal life in Christ. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. No bones about it. You are you are actually attacking me, but it is I who come to seek and save you, Paul. You who are lost by giving you forgiveness, by giving you life, by sending you in the future here, as we'll talk about after the break, to, to have your sins washed away, that I may dwell in you and with you and that you may be my witness. So in this, in this life-changing event, we see the power of God at work. He takes an enemy of God and behold, makes him a son of God through faith in the, in the call of his powerful word of the gospel to Paul, born in his ears, and that is, that is exactly how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ and Christ speaks a word to Paul. Yeah, and, and this is such a, a marvelous thing, again, that, that what the Lord does for Paul is he he takes this worst persecuted of the church and, and, and you know, sometimes we, we skip all the way from, hey, he persecuted the church, now he's going to proclaim Christ. But I appreciate how you're highlighting for us that what the Lord does for Paul is he saves him. I mean, you know, think about the way that, that Paul writes about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, that Christ Jesus died for sinners of whom I am the foremost. It's not just about Paul's proclamation, but actually the salvation that Paul receives at this moment. That his, and as we'll see with, when his, he goes to visit Ananias then in Damascus, this is the gift that the Lord Jesus gives to Paul, is the gift of salvation that he won for all people. And it is that gift of salvation that Paul desires those listening to receive in his preaching. And we're going to keep looking at Paul's preaching on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Acts 21 and 22 with Pastor Adam Filipek. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, June 23rd. We're talking Acts 21, verse 37 through chapter 22, verse 21 with Pastor Adam Filipek. He serves at Holy Cross and Emmanuel Lutheran Churches, both in Lidgerwood, North Dakota. Prior to the break, Pastor Filipek, we were talking about the conversion of Saul, Paul, and just the, the great gift that he receives even before he becomes the great proclaimer of Christianity. The fact that he is made a Christian is a great gift to Paul. Talk a little bit more about that. Certainly. So before we went to break, you talked about Paul numbering himself among sinners and being chief. 
of them all. Well, this is probably most familiar to us, this this proclamation of what's going on here and now, this life-transforming event, this in the Greek metamorphose, this renewal, this transformation of mind that's going on and, and heart. It's probably most familiar to us in one of our great familiar hymnodies loved by many of the congregations I serve. You kind of know it like this. Chief of sinners, though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me. Die that I might live on high, lives that I might never die. As a branch is to the vine, I am his and he is mine. Right, that, that, that whole, here I am, I am the chief of sinners, and who am I but a persecutor of the church that God's grace should come to me? What is man, let alone me, that you are mindful of him? And yet... God is mindful of him. God loved him in Christ unto death, even death upon the cross. God is used to taking the weak things of this world and shaming the wise and well-informed, right? He takes a, a, do, a, a donkey and behold, he makes it his noble steed. He takes an instrument of death and behold, it comes his, becomes a life-giving tree on which is hung the salvation of the world. He takes an enemy and persecutor of the church and behold, makes him a son of God through faith, washed in by water and word, and then a bold witness of his death and resurrection to both Jew and primarily then to Gentiles. So in all of this, this is a, a undergoing of, of a, a transformation that happens at Damascus. And just like Jesus telling his disciples, oh, go in and you will find a man who has the donkey, t-, you know, and all of this Passover stuff. Uh, this is actually Jesus now then telling Saul to go into Damascus, as you are appointed to do, rise, go there, for this is what I'm about to do. And everyone, no one else can see, um, you know, he couldn't see the brightness of the light. He has to be led, and no one else really understands the voice or, or, or what's going on uh, with him. But, but Paul is, is, because of the light, just, just blinded, and he has to be led into Damascus as the Lord had told him what happened and as he appointed him. And that narrative continues. Like the Lord's call to salvation unfolds exactly as his word says. He who has spoken is faithful and he does, his word does what it says. So Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of, lives there and he comes to him. Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that word that was revealed to Paul, now spoken on the lips of the chosen instrument, Ananias, at that very hour. As God said in his word, so it happened. He regained his sight. He saw him. And the narrative continues on on the God of our fathers appointing to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth. So notice that appointment then, Pastor Apple, comes. Everything is happening exactly as God wants it, exactly as he has foresaw it, as he appointed it. And now Paul, Paul gets to see something that not too many people got to see. Paul got to see and hear the crucified Christ the righteous one, to hear him speak from his mouth. And we'll pick maybe up more on this as we as we go along about this witness aspect of it. But putting that aside for a minute and moving to the individual narrative of salvation first, and then picking up on, on 14 and 15 here in a minute. 
that word spurns Paul on to receive the good gifts of Christ, everlasting life and salvation, as has been spoken in his ear, now to be dumped upon him in water. Why do you wait? Rise, be baptized. And here's the interesting thing. Wash away your sins, calling on his name, that very name of God, the very name of Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the name of the one true God. So here we have to kind of close that thought of salvation out. We have one who has been an enemy become a son of God by dying with Christ in the waters of baptism. Or don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He later writes in Romans, we were buried with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Being crucified with Christ, being joined to Jesus, being clothed in a robe of Christ's righteousness, Paul's life now stands transformed He who was once dead in his sin is now dead to sin. And he is alive again in Christ Jesus. So this is Paul sort of looking at them and saying, this is who I was. I was like you. I desired the same things as you did. I was zealous to the Lord, but now the one whom I was persecuting came to me and now my life has been forever changed. Now I live as I have never lived. Now I am saved as I have never been saved. Now I live, move, and have my being in Jesus. And so all these credentials that I listed before you, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I suffer loss All things, I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, as you guys are seeking right here, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's what he proclaims, and that's what he wants for these precious fellow bloodline Jews, he received this and so he desires this for them and so he proclaims it to them. Hmm. Uh, This is the verse there at the end of of verse 16 where Paul recounts what Ananias told him, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It's it's easy sometimes to to run through a text like this and say, okay, I, I know what happened at Paul's conversion. But it, it's striking to hear those words from Ananias's own own lips because it is it is a reminder that baptism actually does something. You know, Ananias does not talk about baptism as if it's a mere symbol, but here points Paul to be baptized so that his sins will be washed away. And and what a what a wonderful thing to see about St. Paul where you know oh he had this wonderful experience where where he got to see Jesus and he heard the voice of Jesus and even the people with him didn't quite get everything that was going on i wish i could have gotten that but but notice paul's sins were washed away the same way your sins and mine were washed away in holy baptism and i find that just a beautiful detail that that paul includes there absolutely it's the pinnacle and center of this all it keeps it keeps going up and up and up until you get to the climactic bestowal of the life of Christ to Paul, 
that he may be joined to Jesus and live his life in Christ. You go from the hearing to the being led as God had appointed him to do. And what had he been appointed him to lead? To, to baptism, where he would wash away sins and not just sins in general, because even that can sound rather deaf in our ears. But Paul has recounted the sins at which were quite frankly atrocious. He held the coats of those who stoned Stephen here that we'll see in just a minute. Like that was the big sins that were washed away. It wasn't just the little sins of, oh, I failed to love God in this way today. Those sins are bad enough to land Paul in hell. But even the great sin before the world of persecuting me, even that sin is washed away by the blood of the Lamb sprinkled in baptism through that water and word that Paul might be presented to his Lord as a spotless bride of Christ together with us and all the saints who went before us and all the saints that are to come. For there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. Pastor Philippeck, within what Ananias says to Paul, you mentioned this earlier. There's another thing we need to pick up, that Paul will be a witness. And then in verse 17, the Lord is going to tell Paul about speaking testimony. What What's going on with this part of, of Paul's recounting? Absolutely. So this important part of 14 actually connects Paul to the rest of the apostles. It makes him, uh, his encounter with Jesus about being appointed to see the righteous one and knowing his will, it actually makes him as an apostle who was untimely born, the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called the apostle for I I persecuted Christ. Notice how Paul runs that as a refrain in, in other letters that he writes, right? I use those words specifically for that reason. This commissions Paul as an apostle, one who is sent, an eyewitness who is sent by Jesus to bear witness before the world. This connects him to Luke and the end of Jesus's at the, at the end of Luke's gospel, where Jesus is ascending to the Father's right hand, right before that, he says to, to his apostles, These are the words that I've spoken to you while I am still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets. See, he's zealous for the law of Moses because the law and the prophets are all about this Jesus. That you may take the law of Moses and the prophets, which actually testify about me and are fulfilled in me. Then he opened their minds to understanding these things, the scriptures, everything in the Old Testament written about him. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. And here's the sticking point to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So this numbers Paul within the context of that Christological commission, the office of the holy ministry, Christ's office in which he sends forth his apostles in his or with his spirit in the power of his word 
to proclaim forgiveness of sins, and to administer his life-giving sacraments, that he might gain for himself a holy people, a royal nation, a, a, a priests of his own possession, a people of God, that, pro, that offer their lives as a living sacrifice, loving one another as God has loved them in Christ. He's sending forth Paul and numbering him among the apostles to be a witness that this Jesus might be proclaimed, yeah, beginning in Jerusalem, but to all nations. And that's the, the, the start of this, this 14 and 15, uh, that, that you will be a witness and witness not just to the Jews, but here again comes in with 17, it comes in with 18, and it comes in at the end of our text again. In 15, it says, you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Everyone includes not just the Jews. It includes the the Gentiles as well. Every other nation who's not in the bloodline of Jesus, who's not of the 12 tribes of Israel, everyone. And this is consistent with what was spoken through the Moses and the prophets. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the promise of Abraham, you get this whole thing that I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Who will you be a blessing for? Well, I will bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth, every nation, everybody shall be blessed. So this, this Jesus, this, this promised child who's going to crush the head of the serpent and give us back the presence of God to go all the way back to Adam. It has always been, right? It's more than just a bloodline. It goes back to Adam for all nations, for all people, every race, every language, every tribe, every nation, every people. That witness of revelation that I just quoted from Revelation 7 there. Um, So this is what what it means to be a witness that God has appointed him, the God of our fathers has appointed him to see this. And the God of our fathers is very important here because Paul is carrying that message of I'm one of you through this, that they may see that this is what I'm witnessing. This is what I'm remaining. I'm remaining consistent to the law. I'm remaining consistent to the zealousness of God. But it, but this is the God who, who I persecuted And now I proclaim to you. So he still calls, you know, God of our fathers, tying back to the apostolic message and leaning forward into, I desire this salvation for you that everyone may know and see Jew and Gentile alike. Well, and it's also striking that not only does he, you know, he uses the language of the God of our fathers there in verse 14, but those are the words that Ananias spoke to Paul. And and he, Paul describes Ananias in verse 12 as a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. Now, I don't I don't know how old Ananias was in Acts chapter 9, nor do I know how old he would have been, or if he would have still been alive in Acts chapter 50, or excuse me, in, in the year, maybe, you know, mid-50s where we are right now. I, for some reason, I always have pictured Ananias as an older man. I'm not sure, I'm not sure why, but I always yeah. have. So, but, but I think, you know, and if Ananias is still alive, this is the point I'm trying to make, is that these people listening can go talk to him and see yet another person who is a part of this Jewish family, according to the blood that, you know, is on the same side as Paul, if you want to put it that way, that, that can back up Paul's witness and say, no, Paul's not going off the rails with what he's teaching. He is teaching the true faith. It, it It's just, I think the way he describes Ananias 
adds to that that overall theme of we're we're a part of the same family here, y'all. Absolutely, it intensifies the witness. It joins um, Ananias's words to Paul's mouth in the echoing of the God of our of our fathers in his witness. That's the word Ananias spoke. And now that same word is on Paul's lips that they might hear the witness of Ananias through Paul. Now in verse 17 of Acts 22, Paul recounts a conversation that he had with Jesus while he was in Jerusalem. So we get something that's not recorded for us in Acts chapter nine, at least the conversation. It it seems that the timeline fast forwards here a little bit from what happened in Damascus to now a, a previous visit that Paul had made to Jerusalem, previous from Acts chapter 22. What, what happens in this conversation, I don't know, argument between Jesus and Paul? It is a bit of an argument. And, and so Paul knows the grace of God for him and Jesus Christ. He knows that this life seen in context of this will be a, a great witness, um, even though it has also been a great stumbling block for the Jews. Uh, what I mean by all of that is that that Paul recognizes this whole witness of the untimely born, least of them persecuted the church with now that grace of God uh, might look more and more prevalent in my life since I was this, this once persecutor. So Paul understands this very deeply. And when he returns to Jerusalem and he prays in this temple, he has this conversation at a trance with Jesus. And, and Jesus says, make haste, get out of Jerusalem because they're not going to accept your testimony. I almost hear in these words, Jesus from Luke chapter four, echoing his words of of a prophet. He says, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And well, well, he's not in his hometown of Tarsus right now. He is among people who are his, his family, his bloodline on that Jewish nation in, in a sense um, and yet he is now become an offspring of Abraham, even more, um, having been risen, uh, connected to the crucified and, and risen Christ. So, so Paul gets this whole important life transformative proclamation about his witness that Jesus has given him. This is, this is part of Paul's witness, who I was and who I am now in Christ Jesus. So Jesus says, go. And Paul says kind of, but, but wait a minute, Lord, kind <laughs> of in, in 19, like I, I kind of get all this, but uh, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, you know, I, I, I was the one who imprisoned it. Those who who believed in you and even the blood of Stephen, you know, your witness. So it's a shed. I myself was standing there. So as if to say, but, but can't this be an even bolder witness to these who are, you know, that, that you did this for me, that I once was this. But yeah, he's having this kind of banter with God, like, like, wait a minute, like, this is the huge part of my witness here. And you're telling me to go away from here, but can I just kind of be better here as your witness? But notice, uh, throughout this whole thing, the Lord's will is done. He has a a message to get out to all nations, and he is going to use Paul, and he will show Paul how much he must suffer for his name's sake. And so through all of that, Jesus just simply responds to him by saying, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Jesus knows his, his, his... Word is not going to be received by them. Uh, 
though Paul desires it, quite frankly, in the words of Isaiah, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And our ways are not his ways. As, as heavens are higher than the earth, so God's ways are, are higher than our thoughts and our desires. And, and God does desire for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth that everyone um, receives this Jesus, both Jew and Gentile. And a majority of the apostles, Peter and them, are already there in Jerusalem witnessing. So Paul's going to be a witness to the Jews. He's, as he's going along, he's going to appear in in uh, in Gentilic nations and preach first in, in a lot of Jewish synagogues and then in Gentiles. So he's going to preach to Jew and Gentile. But as as Jesus is talking here, the, the response is pretty much no. Uh, the Jews are not going to receive you. They're going to reject you. And that is affirmed, quite frankly, in these last words. These last words sort of serve as as the as the heightened climax of everything up to this point they're listening to him but when he starts talking about everyone and witness to everyone and uh all of a sudden far away to the keyword gentiles man that sets them off because the the jerusalem jews reject that promise of Genesis 12, 3, they think they're Abraham's offspring, but they reject the fact that God has already declared that through Abraham, all families of the earth will be blessed. They, they don't believe that. Uh, the gen, they believe the Gentiles are outside of the promise of Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, Moses, David, and the one who is in the line of David, of course, David's Lord, uh, is Jesus. They believe that no good news should be spoken to the Gentiles, the other nations. Uh, and this word of, of Jesus um, to Paul that he's witnessing now, I will go send you away, far away to the Gentiles. Man, that's going to set them off. They're going to stomp their ears and they are going to cry out in the same manner and capacity as they did, demanding that Paul be put to death as Jesus had been demanded as well before to be put to death. Yeah, well, we'll see that in tomorrow's text, how they do react in, in, to this word in particular. They were following, and then with the word Gentiles, they're ready to put Paul to death yet again. Now, as you said, though, Pastor Philbeck, that was not Paul's intention, of course, in preaching to the crowd. He did not want them to put him to death, but he was using this as a call to faith. For, for those people, and still for us today as the readers of Holy Scripture, we've got about three minutes left on the morning. As we wrap this up, how how is this a, a call to faith to the people listening to the Paul? How does it strengthen our faith still today as Christians? Sure. So the call to faith is still through the same one who came to Paul, who was an enemy of the gospel and made him a son of God through the gospel through Jesus Christ, our Lord, crucified and risen high, lifted up on the cross for us and for our salvation, for the life of the world. And while they don't receive that testimony, they reject the Spirit as they did during Stephen's day, you stiff-necked people who always reject the Holy Spirit, as they did when Jesus himself came preaching in their midst, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you, but you are not willing. You would not. So Paul preaches that same Jesus, and as Jesus knew, they would not receive him. Doesn't mean that that salvation is not for them. Absolutely, it's for them. Uh, that's why Paul is preaching, just like, uh, you know, it was for Pharaoh who hardened his heart. And yet, through this, through this testimony, there are people who 
will hear and will believe by the grace of God. And those people are not just Jew. And here's the cool part for us. We are actually in this text. And you might think, what? And you don't want to see always yourself in scripture and any little thing or make it about you. But you are part of that ending 21 proclamation. And he said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, Pastor Apple, I am not of Jewish lineage. I am of Bohemian lineage and German lineage. So Paul is sent to me. Even now, 2,000 years later, a little less than that, but he is sent that I may hear his witness and through that witness call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, have my sins washed away, be clothed in a robe of Christ's righteousness, die to sin, rise to the newness of life, and so pass through the gates of hell into eternity with my Lord Jesus through this faithful witness, this chosen instrument that Jesus has appointed to preach the good news to the world, to the Gentiles, as well as the Jews, first to the Jews, but primarily for Paul to the Gentiles. And that means me as it means you. Pastor Adam Filipek is pastor at Holy Cross and Emmanuel Lutheran Churches, both in Lidgerwood, North Dakota, helping us today with Acts chapter 21, verse 37 through chapter 22, verse 21. Pastor Filipek, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 21 or 22, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send us a message. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.